Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Have you ever had one of those days where, um, I mean, even this early in the day, you'd already kind of lost the day or you thought you had an extra day? I just, I mean, I didn't just realize that it's Friday, but I kind of just realized that it's Friday. So good morning. It is Friday. It's Friday, right? Paul Perot. It's Friday. Is it Friday? As my mom would say, yes, it's Friday all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Happy Friday, everybody. It is the 8th of December, 2023. It is Friday. Um, Did you light your Hanukkah candle last night or at least a candle um, of remembrance? I did. I mean, we don't have a menorah, but I do have a candle. And so um, I lit it and I put it in in the front window. Um, Yeah, I'm just going to encourage you to shine the light this season of Hanukkah, um, just recognizing that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Um, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, and so we want to acknowledge that and we want to um, be people of light, even in a time and a generation of of great darkness. So I encourage you to um, show your solidarity with our um, friends in in Israel uh, and Jewish people everywhere, as anti-Semitism continues to be on the rise, let us be people who shine forth the light. Lots of headlines today revolving around Israel and um, the people who inhabit the land there and surrounding the land, a land that God promises to the Jews in Numbers 34 and again in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Both of these places in both of those places, God literally promises this specific land that stretches from the Jordan River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Uh, that is the language of the river to the sea. And so it is the land promised by God to Israel in Numbers 34 when the Israelites had been wandering for nearly 40 years in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, just outside of Egypt. You will remember there the Exodus. We're talking about 1,455 years years prior to the birth of Jesus. We're talking about a long time ago, literally ancient history. God led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses, whom God revealed um, himself to at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The people had, for nearly 40 years, been experiencing the miraculous presence and leading and provision of God in the wilderness. Manna from heaven every day, Um, water from a rock. I mean, like, just he led them by uh, a pillar of fire at night and cloud in the day. They believe him. When God says he's going to give them a land, a promised land that they could call their own forever, they believe him. Um, And the land that God promises is the land from the River Jordan to the sea. And so when you hear people chanting today, um, 
about the river to the sea being a land that belongs to a people other than Israel, you are hearing um, a direct contradiction to the express promise of God to a particular people in in scriptures written in the Old Testament. I bring that up because as we read today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, you have to remember who is speaking. It's Moses. And you have to remember when he is speaking. Um, and this is late in the time of the wilderness experience. You have to remember to whom he is speaking. He is speaking to a generation of people who have now lived, outlived the first generation of the Exodus. And you have to remember what he's talking about. He's talking about the promise of a future prophet, a prophet who will be like him. And during the season of Advent, we read passages like Deuteronomy 18:15 because we know who Jesus is. We know the one of whom this passage speaks. So 1455 or so years prior to the birth of Christ, we read today's growing your faith verse of the day from Deuteronomy 18:15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that's Moses speaking, from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. People held on to that promise for more than 1,400 years. People knew, people remembered. They were still waiting for the prophet promised by Moses, by God through Moses. How do we know? Well, one way is by reading about, well, like the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. She's making direct reference to this, that this is the kind of prophet um, that's going to come. People knew the promise. People believed that God would keep his promise, and he has. But more than a prophet like Moses, Jesus was also the great high priest. He was the king of all kings. He was Moses, Elijah, and David all in one. He was the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the living one, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. So what is written in Deuteronomy, what is echoed in, in prophecies like Isaiah chapter 9, um, Jesus is the promised one, and Jesus is the one who comes, and we wait for him again. We wait for him again. We now await the second advent of Jesus Christ. Much like the people walking in darkness awaited for the fulfillment of the promise made in Deuteronomy 18, in our Growing Your Faith verse of the day, we now await the return of the one who took on human flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth, the one whose name we call Jesus. We await his promised return. We await, we await the reality of the fullness of the Lordship of Christ, not only from the river to the sea, but from sea to shining sea and everywhere else for all of time, forever and ever. Amen? Now, let me ask you here uh, quickly, what would you say are the greatest words ever spoken? What would you say are the greatest words ever ever spoken. Well, in order to qualify, they, they might be words that would have to reveal a great truth that would otherwise go undiscovered or unknowable. I mean, the, the greatest words ever spoken would have to be revelatory, 
They would have to bring about extraordinary miraculous benefit. They would have to produce life or be life-giving or world-altering. They'd have to be words of hope and peace and life. Transformative words. What would qualify something as the greatest words ever spoken? What were the greatest words ever spoken to you? The ones that opened your eyes to the truth of God's amazing grace. Fan Bennett is going to join us next to share the greatest words ever spoken. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend Fan Bennett is joining us now. He is the host of the Equipped here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, Fan, good morning. Carmen, happy Friday. How are you? Happy Friday. I am well. All right. So the text line um, is uh, is full of input on the topic <laughs> of the greatest words ever spoken. Walt uh, offered, "I am." We have more than one person. Carol and um, and Mary both say uh, the greatest words ever spoken are, "It is finished." Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob says, "I have called the Gospel of John the most important document ever written." Um, uh, so I always suppose that he, his vote is the entirety of the Gospel of John. Deborah uh, offers, well, they would be words of Jesus. I am the way and the truth of the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Kim also uh, gave a vote for I am. So there you go. Uh, what, what say ye? What, what, what do you want to talk about today when we are addressing the topic of the greatest words ever spoken? I love the story you shared um, in, your, in your newsletter uh, the equipped. Maybe you could share that story with us today. Yeah, sure. Well, I was actually chatting with Paul in the break there, and some of those uh, contenders from your text line came up, and I think all of them um, are really part and parcel of the same message and, and and the words that I would put forward as as a contender for the greatest words ever spoken. Carmen, this was a uh, this was a thought that I really started to sit in a couple of years ago when I was in my grandpa's funeral, actually, and. My grandpa was a man of great faith, devoted to Jesus, served the church for many, many decades. And I, w- I felt quite a bit of loss when he passed. But as I sat in his service, I was so comforted by the, the first words I want to suggest to you. And they're, they're the words from Matthew 25, 21 through 23, recognizing that my grandpa at that very moment was likely hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And, you know, those are words that are made possible because of many of the other words of Jesus that you mentioned. But I do think they're the words that that we should all be longing for and that we're promised that we can hear. But Carmen, I, I in, in this week's newsletter, I actually want to I want to combine those words with the words that we find in Jeremiah 31, 3, where it, God says that I have loved you with an everlasting love. And just just briefly, I think I think these two things can be hard to hold together because, you know, in, in Matthew 25, it's sort of suggesting that it's something that we have done that will earn accolades. And then in Jeremiah 31, we see that God's unconditional love pours over us while we're in this imperfect state. And so just the brief thought that I want to start us off with is the order in which we take in these greatest words ever spoken. We've got to start with that that realization that God's everlasting and all-surpassing love, it's offered to us in our fallen, imperfect, 
not accomplished state. And it is, it is that love to us that actually we need to reflect back to God in, in the form of devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Carmen, those are actually the works that will form the substance of what earns us those accolades on that day. I think scripture is very clear about this. It is not, it is not our works. It is not our striving. It is actually our reflection of what he has already done for us and his great love for us. It's reflecting it back to him that will actually earn us that proclamation, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I would just submit those two statements together as sort of my entry into the greatest words ever spoken. It can give us such great assurance that on that day, the creator of the universe who is madly in love with us will say those words to us, but he will say those words to us because of what his son has already done for us and, and the fact that he sees a reflection of that work coming back from our lives. I appreciate that you um, you give us a heritage story. Um, for your grandfather, it's a legacy, but for you, it's a heritage, this heritage of faith. Um, because the greatest words ever spoken for each of us are words that um, are the ones that that change us, that ring, that not just ring true, but that are true and that speak truth. And so, you are, you know, you are a hinge. Every single one of us is, and so you have this heritage where you're looking back um, to your grandfather, and and then looking at your own children and what will be said of you, right? So I think that one of the things that you lift up today uh, in your newsletter um, are, are really these like positive and negative testimonies, like what's going to be said of other people. And you talk about, talk about spies, like, and I want to talk about that because that's a negative, that's right. Those, those are, terrible things to be said of a person. Like, this is going to be a terrible way for this individual to be remembered. But then we also have obituaries um, to look at as well, um, as we are remembering people who are now living an eternal life um, in one eternal reality or another. Uh, and so can we just talk about that a little bit? So um, let's do let's do the spy story, and then let's come back um, after a brief break and talk about some obituaries. Yeah, this the the, first, the spy story, Carmen. This one's wild. I mean, this is like a James Bond story, except it's it's villain rather than hero, right? There was a a seventy three year old American citizen named Victor Roca, who was uh, arrested and accused of spying for more than a quarter century. Actually, spying for about forty years, but for a quarter century, uh, Mr. Roca held high positions in the United States government, and so. When he was arrested, the attorney general actually called it, here's a, here's a quote, he called it one of the highest reaching and longest lasting infiltrations of the U.S. government by a foreign agent. So we're not talking about small time spying. We're talking about huge, huge uh, violations of the oath to defend the Constitution that Victor Roca is uh, alleged to have engaged in. And... Um, you know, I think just the application point on this story, Carmen, I think it's twofold. I mean, one, uh, you, you sort of alluded to this. We as Jesus followers, our, our primary allegiance is not to country. I, I love this country deeply. I'm devoted to it. I've taken an oath very similar to the one that uh, Victor Roca took. But there have been multiple examples in Scripture. I think about 
uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I think of modern examples like the Ten Boom family who sheltered the Jews in the face of the Nazi regime. There will be times where our allegiance to an eternal kingdom needs to take priority over any oath that we make to any earthly regime. But that said, if we look at scripture, it's very clear that our oaths matter. And uh, Numbers 30 verse 2 is one I would point people to to look at after the broadcast. Um, and I think we need to recognize that when when a person violates an oath of this significance, if they are convicted in a court of law, and we always need to start with that caveat, Victor Roca will have a chance to mount a robust defense and he is entitled to be presumed innocent. But if he is found guilty after that process, these crimes warrant very serious consequences. And so you're right. This is the theme that runs through all of the stories in the newsletter this week. Human accomplishment at sort of its highest level, but then also human failure. And the truth is, Carmen, all of us are a mix of those things and, and learning how to grapple with them and actually yielding both of them uh, to the covering of Jesus Christ is really one of our primary efforts here on earth. If your obituary were written today, uh, what would it say? Um, and if we were going to reflect tomorrow on your life, um, what would we know to say about you? How are you living your life um, in the world in such a way that what could be said of you and of me would be well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to talk next about the passing of some luminaries, um, but it's an opportunity for each of us and all of us to reflect on um, what what will there be to say of us when we are gone, and will it point to Jesus? We're going to continue our conversation with Dan Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. If you're around um, after I am gone, I hope that you will be able to say she was in Christ. She knew she was loved and she loved well. That would be enough. That would be enough. What will we say um, about you? What will be said about you? After you pass, we're talking with Than Bennett, host of The Equipped. You can um, sign up for The Equipped newsletter as well. I can send you the direct link on the text line if you want that. Um, Than, talk with us about some luminaries who have passed. What, well, first of all, what qualifies in your mind as a luminary? Because I think I want to be a luminary, like, right? A person of light. Yeah. Well, I, if, okay, let me frame it with this question, though, and you kind of did this as well, Carmen, but I, I want people to think about this story through the lens of that question. What will be written about you 
when God calls you home. Because, so I'm talking in the newsletter about two, I'm calling them luminaries. This is Sandra Day O'Connor, who died at the age of 93, and Henry Kissinger, who died at the age of 100. And I would not define luminary in this sense as all positive, Carmen. If you read uh, either one of these obituaries, if you read anyone's obituary, you're going to have a mix of high points and low points. And especially when it comes to Henry Kissinger, there's quite a bit of controversy in his resume. He was a dominant figure in U.S. foreign policy for many, many decades uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was the the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court. She had get this, she authored six hundred and forty five judicial opinions. That is that's just a number that mm. is is staggering to me. And so, in the context of this story, I am talking about someone who has significant human achievement during their time on Earth. But here's here's sort of the takeaway as we lead up to that question. Even for Kissinger and O'Connor, when they pass their life ends up becoming a sum of a handful of words on paper, at least in the moment where it passes through the news, right? For for those who are very accomplished and very famous, they might get a whole article. Others might just get an obituary. Others might just get a paragraph and a news story. But all of us have a life that James 4.14 calls a mist on the wind. Carmen, it's here. And then at least in an earthly sense, it's gone. And so I think it warrants us asking the question, what will be written us, about us when God calls us home? And, and, and here's the thing I want to leave us with on that question. If we are found in Christ, if we have chosen a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior, we don't have to wait until we're gone to know what will be written. We can look to Luke 1020. We can look to Philippians 4, 3. We can look to a host of other biblical passages, because if we are found in Jesus Christ, the thing that will be written about us after we pass, Carmen, it's already been recorded in heaven. It's already mm. written in the book of life. And, and when we pass from life on this earth, it is those words those are the words that will make all of the difference. We might have lots written about us in human publications, but our name is written in the book of life. It is already done, and we don't have to wait till our passing to find it. That's so good. Um, Than, I, um, I always want to get to the place in the newsletter where we talk about the beautiful. So can we, um, can we skip ahead and share with us the beautiful for this week? Oh, I love the beautiful, and uh, I love it especially because this is where my wife actually contributes to the newsletter. She is an accomplished photographer, and uh, she always contributes an image so that we can look at something beautiful in our world and uh, actually relate to it as we turn back to the world. And so I, I really want to encourage people, if, they want, if they're taking this in, you've got to go to the equipnewsletter.com. You've got to see the image that my wife includes in this week's uh, edition because it's got a chicken in it, Carmen. And I know you have a, a farm yourself. Okay, so, so wait a second. This uh -huh. is a photograph? This is not a painting? This is a photograph. Yes. Okay. This is a... Okay, he is beautiful. He is a beautiful chicken. See, this is, this is one of the reasons I love you, Carmen, because I, I, mean, I was wondering... Yeah, oh, he's beautiful. Well, tell Jude that we have favorite chickens at our house, but none of them are as beautiful as Bud. None, none, <laughs> none of our chickens are that pretty. So, so, so you've actually touched on the point why we included Bud in the newsletter, because we find uh, her beautiful as well. Uh, a lot of other people probably wouldn't think of chickens as beautiful, but my wife, of course, uh, did... <laughs> 
contribute a lot to the beauty of this because it does look like a painting. But here's here's the point. Mm-hmm. I know we've got to run, Carmen, but there are a lot of common things in our world that are really beautiful if we all allow them to be. And so I think it's the perspective that we look through that allows us to see the beauty in God's creation. That's the main reason that Bud is in the newsletter this week. FanBennett.com. Fan has two N's. Bennett has two N's and two T's. FanBennett.com. That is where you can sign up for the equipped newsletter. It's also where you can see um, the most recent newsletter, which, I mean, among all of the other wonderful things that are included, you will see this fantastic picture of butter, B-U-D-D-E-R, bud for short. It is a photograph that looks like a painting. Um, so, you know, compliments to Brooke as well. This is um, this is quite fine art. So thank you for bringing it to us this week. And yes, the common things in the world absolutely speak of the majestic beauty of God. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is a place where we do love love our chickens. So, Than, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that feels like that's a good segue to the Friday Farm Report, even though this is not where I had planned to include it. But how could I not include it here? So let's see. Two big things uh, in the Friday Farm Report. One, I uh, I went to Tractor Supply, which is, you know, somewhere that I spend a fair amount of time. And um, I was picking up uh, a bag of sweet feed for the cows. And Woody, who's one of the guys who works works there, said, hey, hey, we got a shipment in of of food for cows that is actually not something that we regularly sell. We don't really have a market for it. You know, how do you feel about cubes? And I'm like, mm, I feel pretty good about cubes. But, you know, this time of year, I need something with, you know, a fair amount of protein in it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so he takes me to the takes me to the stock room, which you've never been to the stock room at a place like Tractor Supply. Man, that's just fun. Like you should just go in and say, you know, I have a friend who's on the radio and she says, you should let me see the stock room because anyway, there's all kinds of cool stuff back there. And so he takes me back there and he has two pallets of cubes. And so I read what's in them and I say, yes, this would be good supplemental food over the winter for our cows. And I th- and, and he says, well, I'll make you quite a deal. I'm going to sell them to you at my cost. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And so um, he said, well, how many do you want? And I said, well, I, you know, I want them all, but I can't take them all. Like that's, you know, and so, <laughs> so I say, though, that I'll take 10, right? Okay. And then I remember, like, I, I have kind of a regular car. Like I don't drive like a giant truck. My husband drives a big truck, but I don't. I have like a small, small-ish SUV. It's a Kia Sorento. It's nothing fancy. And so <laughs> he's like, well, just pull around back and we'll load them up. And I thought to myself as I was pulling around back, huh, I don't, I don't know. Can I get that much cow food in my car? Anyway, the answer is yes, you can. It, it did fit. And then we're going back today to get a whole pallet. So there you go. That's that is some happy farm news. Um, let's see. Oh, one other big news on the farm. This is actually the biggest farm news of the week. So Jim planted all of this corn. Maybe I should do the break and we do the rest of the farm report later. Does that sound like probably what we should do? All right. I'm going to hold off on um, on the rest of the farm report because Chris Martin's going to be waiting to join us and it would be rude to keep him waiting. Um, we're going to talk about... Instagram. We're going to talk about how much your child on Instagram is worth. Mm -hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Chris Martin is joining us. Um, we know him as the author of The Wolf in Their Pockets and Terms of Service. He is also the creative director at Moody Publishers and a social media consultant. He is here today to talk about the value of our kid, the value of our kids to Instagram. Mm-hmm. Chris, good morning. Fill us in. Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, I am well. I uh, I thought tomorrow was Friday, so that'll tell you something about the way my day is already going. I, I need another day this week, and that's going to have to cram it all into today. Okay, we, yeah. We leave, yeah, we leave for Florida tomorrow. Uh, we're taking our grandkids, or I don't know, maybe we're going with them to Orlando for a week, and that's tomorrow. All of a sudden, I just realized that's tomorrow. Not It's not <laughs> day after. That's not the day after tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 yeah. right. Oh, that sounds go. fun. That's what's, that's what's rattling around in my mind this morning. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, well, my my situation is similar but a little bit different. I'm. It's Friday, obviously, as we've established, but I'm taking the day off. So it's this weird thing where, like, I'm out here in my in my little shed studio office in the backyard yes. talking to you, but now – but then the rest of my day is going to feel a little bit more like a Saturday even though it's a Friday. So anyway, it's just like kind of – yeah, we're, we're both in this weird day twilight zone. Anyway. Um, do you – wait, wait. What do you call your shed? Yeah. Mine is the she shed. We, is yours the we he don't shed? Have, we mm-hmm. don't really have a name. Uh, it's it, My daughter, my our three-year-old Maggie has – just calls it the shed office. So that's kind of the name the shed that it's office. like, like, it's like it's all one word. Yeah. yeah no, so that's, that's kind of the you name. Should, yeah. You should turn it all into one word. That'd be really good. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So, um, so anyway, here I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, through the, You're put back. the key in the, yeah, I put the key in the newsletter and turn the say, can we get this thing going? It's sputtering a little bit. Can we get this thing turned up back on? And so I tried to write a newsletter again for the first time in a while on the Terms of Service newsletter um, because Thanksgiving Eve, uh, Facebook, Meta, Meta, the bigger company that owns Facebook, Instagram, all of that, um, on the eve of Thanksgiving decided to unredact some of the really um, important and sensitive information that is in the lawsuits uh, that they're kind of facing with the 40 plus attorneys general that I think we've talked about on your program before that all of these states attorneys general are uh, suing Facebook for basically not caring for children and teenagers and uh, in, in their policies and how they handle content. And um, I'm guessing that I, I was a little bit confused about all the legality of this, but I'm guessing that Facebook had to unredact this information at some point because I don't know why they ever would. It's so damning for them. Um, but they did. They unredacted it, you know, at the 11th hour before a four day weekend for most of the country. And so um, <laughs> I looked at that and said, oh, no, no, Facebook's tried to run this play before. We're not going to let them run this play again and get away with it. And so. On literally on Thanksgiving, I started typing up a newsletter explaining all of the nasty stuff that's in this unredacted information. And quite frankly, it's appalling. And I think the biggest thing, without going through and reading all the quotes, and if there's anything, Carmen, you want to pull out, where I'm happy to. But there's just so much here that really communicates this in summary. In the past, as I've written and talked about social media on on your program, in my books, or wherever else, um, the general tenor that I've gathered from other people and that a lot of folks have had regarding social media and teenagers, specifically teenagers, but kind of everyone, is, yeah, social media can be really unhealthy if you use it in in some um, compulsive ways or if you use it too much. It's kind of mental health issues are a side effect of using social media poorly or using social media too much. Um, and we should guard against that. But a lot of that's just kind of like, grit and have some have some self-discipline and learn to not 
find your self-worth in Instagram or Facebook and not spend four hours a day on it. It's kind of like up to you, social media user, to make sure that you don't have an unhealthy relationship with social media. And what I, it's, you know, I think another way to describe it is mental health issues have kind of been a passive side effect that comes with increased social media use. And it's an unfortunate side effect, but here we are. And I think what a lot of this, if I could summarize, what a lot of these revelations reveal to me is that mental health issues are actively sort of baked into how these platforms work. It's kind of a, um, a, known, a known risk for even the most healthy social media users. What I mean to say is your average 13, 16, 18-year-old who uses Instagram doesn't have to use it in an unhealthy way to start to go down some um, eating disorder rabbit holes or extremism rabbit holes or um, start to think about self-harm or suicide. All they have to do is use the apps the way they're meant to be used, and they will very easily come across this kind of content that can severely hurt themselves and their mental health. And so I think, and, and what we see in all of these revelations in these screenshots that I pulled from the, from the unsealed documents is that Facebook recognizes this and instead of doing anything about it has said, well, let's basically try to sweep it under the rug because if we did something about it, it would dramatically hurt our profit in profiting off of these teenagers and how they use this platform. And so I think what, what I think we should gather here is that these platforms have recognized the issue and instead of saying, hey, we should we should clamp down on this. They've said, Ooh, if we clamp down on it though, we would drive the lifetime value of a teenager from about $270 down a significant amount. And they don't quite estimate how much, but basically they're saying we would lose a lot of money if we did anything to mitigate a lot of these issues that lead to serious mental health problems. And so I think um, mental health problems are a sort of uh, accepted result of social media use when it comes to these platforms and how they view it. And I think what a lot of, what grieves me is that our parents of teenagers specifically don't stand a chance. Kind of what I write at the end of this article is that um, I, I write this, I said in the war for mental health of teenagers, it is parents versus the best paid, most brilliant computer and behavioral scientists in the world. And parents don't stand a chance. And I think that's kind of how I would summarize it. I think one of the surprising things in this to me, um, and again, if you want to read not just the entirety of these unredacted portions, but but Chris has actually like called them out for us. So I'm happy to send you a direct link to this Terms of Service newsletter where Chris unpacks all of this. Um, so just text me and let me know that you want that link because it, it, Chris has done the hard work of culling through the unredacted material so that we can read it for ourselves and we can see what's going on. I think that one of the things um, for me, Chris, that was particularly disturbing is the number, and I guess I knew this, but you know, when you see it in print, it's a little bit different, the number of children under the age of 13 who are actively engaged on these platforms. Now, you're supposed to be a minimum of 13 years old in order to be on Instagram, but clearly that is not the case, and Meta knows it, and Meta intentionally did not want to research um, what was going on with with people on the platform under the age of 18 or under the age of 13, excuse me, because then they'd have to admit that they are there. 
And they want to view them as, quote, this is the gross part, a valuable but untapped audience when they're talking about 10 and 12 year olds. Like, yeah, exactly. It's horrifying. Yeah. The the quote from the from the from the court document is Meta's interest in preteens is unsurprising as Meta has historically regarded children between the ages of 12, 10 and 12 as a, quote, valuable but untapped audience, as you said. Yeah. And they avoided doing bullying research. There is they were exploring doing bullying research on people under the age of 13. Let's not research it because we anticipate that what we're going to find out is going to be bad. And so better not to ask. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hey, my check engine light is on, but let's just punch that out rather than go to the mechanic or or whatever. It's like let's just not uh, because if we did if we did examine this, we might have some legal issues, and they kind of have to maintain plausible deniability. Mm. Um, I got you something for Christmas. I'll tell you what it is when we come back. Um, but if you're listening right now and you want the direct link to Chris Martin's latest terms of service newsletter, I know we told you he he wasn't writing newsletters anymore, but he he can't help himself. So because uh, sometimes there are things that only he is willing to research and bring us. And so we're so thankful for it. So I'd love to send you that link. You can text me 877-933-2484. Um, yes, we're going to return to some headlines um, related to social media in a moment. But when we come back, I'm going to tell Chris what I got him for Christmas. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, well, let's start with uh, 20 or so new subscribers to the newsletter, Chris, in terms of my Christmas gift. There you go. Uh, hey, if you guys are texting in for the link to the Terms of Service newsletter, I am... I'm filling those in just as fast as I can, so be patient with me. Um, but Chris, I made a list of my 23 top books of 2023, and it was initially like the 23 top conversations about books that we had on Mornings with Carmen, but then I realized that we never talked to John Stark about his 2023 book, <laughs> so... but. <laughs> So then it had to be like something else. So anyway, but you you made my list, man. And so thank you so much for the gift of your time and talent over the course of this year. Thank you for um, joining us so frequently, being a, a regular contributor to the program. And thank you um, for such excellent work, both in the book Terms of Service, but then, you know, this this past year. Um, with the wolf in their pockets, you you're trying to equip us as parents and ministry leaders um, for realities that we would prefer not to recognize. And it's a really important work. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Carmen, for those kind words. And yeah, every, every year around this time, I reflect on the fact that now as of this past November, I've, I've been joining faith radio about twice a month for about nine years, which is crazy to think about. (laughs) And I'm so glad for these last few years to have been with you. So thanks so much for recommending the book and your top books of 2023. I know, you've you've grown up. You used to be be like, you know, the the youngest person we'd ever heard of or known. You were like this millennial... Like the millennial Christian, and now you know you're you know I don't want to say this, but you know you're you, now your dad. You know you're like I'm getting, no, I know, I'm like getting there. Dad yeah. jokes and you know right yeah, right all yeah. kinds of stuff, all kinds so good. Um, all right, so um, now you know now for another <clears throat> um, wonderful zesty topic, Facebook and Instagram have been accused of creating a marketplace for child predators. Um, what what is going on and and people are now asking, like, should I be deleting my Facebook and Instagram accounts? Yeah, sure. So um, this is what, what's really fun, I guess. I mean, it's a fun 
kind of, frankly, kind of humorous situation amidst all of this sadness and, and grossness is a lot of states who want to start considering lawsuits against meta and or journalism outlets like the Wall Street Journal are just starting to create fake Instagram accounts of like, you know, pretending to be 13 year old children or whatever, and using the platforms the ways they're meant to be used to see, okay, let's pretend we're a 13 year old girl in Instagram. And we start following these 10 accounts. What and we, you know, and we post these kinds of photos. What happens if we do that? Like what kind of what kind of people start following us? Who messages us? And who? Uh, what re- what accounts are recommended that we follow? Um, and recently, uh, the New Mexico Attorney General's office um, is filing a law has filed a lawsuit in state court, uh, claiming that Meta's algorithms recommend sexual content to children. Um, and later on, uh, they created a test account, and this is from The Verge. The tech uh, website, The Verge, they write this. One test account claiming to be a 13-year-old girl garnered 6,700 followers, most of whom were adult males. Some of them asked her to contact them privately on WhatsApp, Telegram, and Kick, or meet offline. The complaint says the fake 13-year-old girl's account also received messages filled with pictures and videos of genitalia, including exposed all kinds of things, uh, which she received at least three to four times per week. The account attempted to report many posts and accounts, but Meta advised Meta quote advised that it found no violation of community standards according to the lawsuit. And so, what that complaint uh, combined with some other tests that the New Mexico State Attorney General's office has run, um, which is again similar to some of the work that the Wall Street Journal has done in the past couple of years, basically is just showing. Look, this could have just been any thirteen-year-old girl. Like, mm-hmm. like they. They're claiming, and I think they're probably being truthful here. I haven't looked at the actual test that they ran, but they didn't do anything weird or different. They just created a 13-year-old girl's account, and it led to this kind of thing. And so I think um, this is just important. What, what social me- One of the beautiful things of social media is it brings people who have similar interests together to be able to build community around those similar interests. We've seen this in the Christian space. We've seen you, any, you like, you like bird watching. Now you can connect with millions of bird watchers around the world via the internet. Like how cool is that? That is really cool. I don't want to downplay how awesome that I've benefited from building that kind of community online. However, some people have some interests that are really stinking messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, and this just goes back to, um, the internet is, and social media specifically, is designed to drive us more deeply into our desires, not drive us away from our desires. And unfortunately, a lot of people have some really messed up, sick, illegal desires, specifically around young children. And social media has become a hotbed for them to gather and share media with each other and try to engage with young people. And so I think you know, the, the earliest uh, uh, slogan for Facebook was move fast and break things. And, you know, a lot of people kind of lauded that at the time, like, yeah, like, let's move into this brave new future of social media, move fast and break things. And obviously, it was very profitable to move fast and break things. But unfortunately, I think we've moved so fast, we've maybe broken a lot of people in the process. And I think um, this is what it looks like to move fast and break things, and then try to fix them afterward. And I think just kind of the the message of both halves of our conversation here is these platforms don't care about their users. Um, We have to take it, our own protection of ourselves or our young people or the people we love into our own hands and not trust no matter what 
um, actions these things take or what what press releases these platforms release about, oh, we are doing this now. Um, we just kind of need to take our own safety and, and privacy and um, all of that into our own hands and into our hands for our, our young people and not trust these platforms to kind of police this activity and care for them. Hey, Chris, are you um, following this um, AI series at the New York Times? Yeah, I, I've read a little okay. bit of it. I've, I don't think I've read everything. Good. Well, I would like to. I would like to ask that you would maybe <clears throat> do a little aggregating from that in your next. You know, when the Lord moves you again. To, <laughs> to... <laughs> sure. Because I do think that AI is something that we know is all around us all the time. Um, we also know it's very, very big business. We know it's incredibly lucrative. Um, and we don't quite know what to think about it from a Christian worldview. Um, it, I mean, we are all already actively engaging with it, um, but it is in most places invisible to us. We don't know that we're engaging with AI or that we're relying on AI um, in a in a lot of spaces and places. And so I just, you know, I think you can probably help us have that conversation in the future. So maybe we'll tee that up in the new year. Yeah, sounds good. That sounds so good. Hey, Merry Christmas. Bless you and your family. Um, have a wonderful time. And thank you again for the gift, the gift you are to us throughout the year. Of course. Thanks for having me. And you have a great Christmas, too. Yeah. That's Chris Martin. Um, I am actively, as fast as I can, sending you uh, the link to his Terms of Service newsletter. Um, and there's a ton of you. And so that is really fun. So just text me, 877-933-2484. I'll send you the link back to um to chris's newsletter and um yeah uh the rest of the friday farm report oh yes thank you so much for that reminder could we get the rest of the report yes you can okay so (laughs) the other big news on the farm after the story about you know having the windfall of cow cow cubes and, and anyway which is silly i know but it's just great for us um is that we got a corn sheller and you say to yourself, well, I don't even know what that is. Well, I didn't either. I didn't know I didn't know it existed. I didn't know I needed one. I didn't know how life-changing it would be. It's a very old um piece of farm equipment. And um we have been hand shelling. I know. Now you're laughing at me if you are a person who has known this all along and and I didn't know. But we've been hand shelling corn every day for our cows. And I know, I know you're saying, you know, you can just buy giant bags of corn. Yes, but this is corn that we grew in our fields and it's, you know, it's organic and we want to feed our cows the, you know, the best of things, right? And well, we had a lot of corn, a lot of field corn because, well, we planted like an acre. The deer have been um, totally fattening themselves up on acorns this year because we've had a huge crop of acorns. So they're not bothering the the corn that's still on all the stalks in the field. So every day we just, you know, grab a few and hand shell them for the cows because I don't know if other cows are like this, but our cows won't eat the corn on the cob. You have to take it off the cob for them. I don't know, something about not not front teeth or something. I don't know, some ridiculous thing. So anyway, so I'm like, Jim, I mean, we just can't keep doing this every single day forever and ever. And so come to find out, our friend Nancy told us, you know, you could just get a corn sheller. (laughs) We're like, what? Yes, a corn sheller. It arrived. I put it together and I used it yesterday for the very first time. And in two minutes, I was able to shell all the corn necessary uh, for, you know, for their evening meal. I, my life, I feel like I have like regained 
an hour every, well, maybe not an hour. I've regained 20 minutes of every day. I feel, I just feel so blessed. So there you go. That's the Friday Farm Report. Yeah, keep your comments coming on the text line. When we uh, jump into the next hour, we're going to talk about Pizza Hut. I know, because there's something going on that you need to know. And then our friend Adam Holtz will join us. We got another hour together next. It's Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.